0: Lord, we are grateful today for your goodness, and we thank you that we have been the objects of your electing love. Lord, I ask that we would never lose sight of the fact, even in the uh, twists and ins and outs of the doctrine that we'll be studying tonight, the wonder of what was accomplished in order uh, for us to be brought into a saving relationship with you. Lord, I ask that we might be more grateful to you for what we learned tonight in your name. Amen. Okay, so I am going to here mute you all, and again, that's not to discourage you from talking. Um, In fact, if you need to say something, ask something, turn your uh, unmute yourself and just just holler out. Um, I've I've sort of got a toggle between screens here, and so if uh, you, you you're trying to get my attention and it's not working. Just unmute yourself and, and holler out, and we'll get the we'll get the questions going here. I, again, I think the the more questions there are, the better off we're we are. Um, but uh, I understand the uh, just uh, the discomfort of trying to ask questions in Zoom. So try it sometimes, get your feet wet, and uh, we'll see if we can't uh, get some good discussions going as we work through the material. Okay, so we are looking at the first. In order, the first topic on the doctrine of salvation, and that is the doctrine of election. We do it first because it occurs before time. So in the eternity past, God chose us before the world began and chose us in him before the world began. Ephesians 1 tells us that. And so we're going to start with this one because it's not only logically first, but also chronologically first. Uh, we started last week by looking at a couple of terms here uh, that have to do with election, predestination, and foreknowledge, which are related but not—they're not always exactly the same thing. Predestination, of course, we said was a the uh, the large category of all things that are being that that have been established in the sovereignty of God. Ephesians one eleven tells us this. He 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 all things. Uh, are upheld by his predestining impulse. And so predestination is his his planning of all things in advance. Election, though, has to do specifically with his sovereign choice of individuals in order to be saved. So uh, election, then, we suggested was a subset of predestination or foreordination. There's another word here, though, that's used in the scriptures that I think is is more broadly misunderstood, and that's this word foreknowledge, foreknowledge, and uh, and the, the the question is not the the word for and that before beforehand uh, we recognize the meaning of that. It's the word knowledge. You say, well, what could possibly be wrong about how could we possibly go wrong with that? And we realize that when we use the word know. We mean something different when we say we know a person and we know a fact. To know a person is an acquaintance. It's the establishment of a relationship. To know a fact is simply to have cognitive information in one's mind. Okay? There's a difference in the way we use the word know. And the same thing is true in Greek and Hebrew. Greek specifically here, it's usage in Romans 8 and 11. And also Peter's usage of this term in 1 Peter one two, And uh, we find here that God foreknows us. And the point is not that he knows in advance what we're going to do independently. But rather he has determined before time to establish a relationship with us. And so when we look at the word foreknowledge, it becomes almost perfectly a synonym for election. It's his choice. To establish a relationship with us. So it's important that we recognize this. This is going to come back tonight as we look at some problematic views of election. Uh, I think there's, there's a sense in which all of us, you know, even the, uh, even the most, you know, God-centric uh, ones of us, we like to think that we contributed in some way to our own salvation. Now, um, I think it's, I think it's a work of sanctification. Uh, that that causes us to realize that it was ultimately of God uh, that we came to him in faith, uh, that we chose him because he first chose us, okay? In fact, that's what John 15, 16 says. You have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And the point here is not that we haven't made a, a choice to to embrace what God has done for us, but the reason we did that was because he embraced us first, okay? and that's the point. And uh, there's there's just there's this this tension that we have. Uh, we want to think that we did something, or that we can do something to make ourselves right to, with God. And in fact, the primary impulse has to belong to God. So there's a couple of views out there of election of those who just refuse to acknowledge that God is the first mover in the salvation process the first one here is, is somewhat well known it's it's actually got a couple of different variations to it and that's the corporate election view uh, has very I see I have three variations there the first one here is that uh, God has elected Israel and this view says and particular particularly draws attention to Romans 9 to 11 that God elected Israel, in a national or ethnic sense, but not individually. So God elected Israel. Uh, There's also verses that talk about the fact that God has elected the church. And so this view says that God elected a class, a church, and we get saved when we choose to join the church. Okay, So it's not so much that God chose you or God chose me, but God chose the church, and if you decide to get into the church, then you will have been the object of God's electing love. So individuals are saved by joining themselves to the elect body. The third variation here suggests that God has elected Christ. Okay, God has chosen to establish a relationship with him, and we are elect in Christ. Because that's the language of Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Uh, that uh, we are elect in Christ. And so the idea here is that God elected Christ before the foundation of the world, and we become elect in Christ when we join ourselves to him. So when we accept Christ into our hearts, at that point, we become the objects of God's elective, uh, electing love, not because he made it happen, but because we made it happen, okay? And uh, you've probably been around uh uh, CBC long enough to, to recognize that that's, that's a, that's a problem. That's not really what the text speak, to text tells us. So I list here about four problems with this view. Firstly, I say here, many texts do speak of election in the plural. Ephesians 1 says that God chose us. But this is really inconclusive. It could speak to a group collectively or individually. You, you know, when we say us, it could mean that God chose you and me, or God chose a group of which we are a part. Uh, and so the, the plural really doesn't tell us anything at all. But what is telling is the huge number of texts that speak to election of individuals, that God chose me, God chose individuals. And uh, speaks in terms of Esau I have loved, Jacob, I, excuse me, Jacob I loved, Esau. I hate it, and 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 we find multiple times uh, that uh, this this word choose is used with a singular, and so these can be construed no other way than individual election. So we are believe we believe here very strongly in individual election. Romans nine six to nine does say that there is a broad election of Israel as a nation. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people. But that's not strictly a redemptive relationship. In fact, we know uh, that many Israelites, many Jews, uh, are not saved. They're not redeemed. And and throughout the Old Testament, we work through it and we find that if the Israelites were a, were a recalcitrant people. They did not embrace their God. And yet, Romans 9 actually gives us a really good sense of what this what this means here. It says in uh Romans nine six. It is not as though God's word has failed. Says, for not all who are Israel are Israel. Now we look at that and say, Well what what what, what is Paul saying? Not Israel is not Israel. This is, seems to be the uh, denial of the identity principle here. Um, that A is not A, right? Uh, which is uh, philosophically a problem. But what he means here is that. Not everyone who is part of the chosen nation is part of the redeemed subset of that nation, and so we find that there is a, an election of Israel in a national sense, and there are there is a pinpoint election of individual Jews, and in the in the Church Age Christians uh, that to to faith in Christ. So there is a national election but that we should imagine, we should understand that to be distinct then from the election to salvation. We also find here, if in fact just, if election is corporate, it's a group thing, then all the aspects of salvation are corporate as well. So Romans 8, for instance, tells us uh, in verses 29 and 30, those he foreknew, remember that's election, those who he elected He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Okay? So if we're going to say that the election is corporate, then we're going to say that the whole salvation process is of a group of individuals rather than an individual thing. And I think all of us are cognizant of the fact that salvation is personal. It's individual. And not a matter of a group event. And I say here, while there is a corporate election of Israel that's described, we should not confuse this with personal election. Okay, and then we find, you know, for instance, uh, Paul goes off here and uh, talks about the uh, vessels of wrath that have been that have been uh, appointed for destruction, and then vessels of mercy that are appointed to be a display of the grace and mercy of God. And this is an individual thing. So, uh, yes, there is a group election, a corporate election of Israel, but we should not confuse that with the individual election of individual believers to salvation. Others suggest that there is an election, but the election is not to salvation, but simply to sanctification. Until we find verses throughout the scriptures that talk about God has called us to holiness, right? Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, God has a point. God has called us to good works, Ephesians 2.10 says, or to faithfulness. God has ordained us that we should go and bring forth fruit, uh, John 15 says but not to salvation proper so the idea here is that we get saved you know by a an act of our own faith or act of our own will and then having done this god then says okay i am going to elect you to sanctification the fact is uh, when God elects us to salvation, his sovereign choice of individuals to be recipients of all the benefits of union with Christ, it shouldn't surprise us to find out that he has elected us to every one of these aspects of salvation. So God does elect people to sanctification, but that doesn't mean he doesn't elect them to justification. Okay? Uh, so, for instance, Acts thirteen forty-eight says that God appointed us to eternal life. Those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay, why is it that they believed? Because before the foundations of the earth, before time, they were appointed to eternal life. First uh, Thessalonians one four speaks of election to faith. We are appointed to believe. Why is it that we believed? Because we are were appointed to believe we received the gospel message because we have been selected by God to receive the gospel message. So we have to shake off this, 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 this persistent idea uh, that the reason I'm saved today is because I made a good decision and I made a good, I I made a good move uh, that my neighbor didn't. Okay. So God has called us in the beginning for salvation and every aspect. Third view is one that we've sort of touched on already, uh, but it's based on this, this false understanding of foreknowledge. Okay, remember, uh, we said that foreknowledge is a pre-selection, not something that, you know, that God looks down the corridors of time and looks down and says, uh-huh, you know, there's Pete down there. Uh, Pete is, Pete's going to, uh, you know, exercise his free will and make a really good decision to embrace Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I will elect him. Okay, so, uh, and of course, this borrows then from Ephesians 1. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Okay, and so the understanding here says the election is something that God does in response to something he sees us do in history. Okay, So what's wrong with this view? This is the standard Arminian view. So uh, we're going to be using this term Arminian, Calvinist, uh, not because we you know, believe everything Calvin did or eschew everything that Arminius believed, uh, but rather we're looking at the model of soteriology, the model of redemption that each one holds to. And so Arminius believes that God gives everyone through prevenient grace, the ability to choose him, and that we choose him, and God, standing at the beginning of time, looks down the corridors of history and says, aha, I know who's going to believe, and makes his selection based on what he sees from the standpoint of the beginning. But there's several problems. One, We've already established here that that's based on a faulty understanding of the term foreknowledge. It does not mean knowledge of facts in advance, but rather the knowledge of persons in advance. Okay, and we and we we pointed out last uh, last time how the word know is used in the in the in the uh, the sense of establishing a relationship. In fact, it's uh, it's a again that. Very common euphemism in the uh, in the Bible for a sexual relationship. It, Adam knew his wife. Okay, so what what's the point here? That he established a special relationship with Eve. Okay, and so that's that's where that word knowing comes from. And so that's how we should understand this term knowledge uh, when we see the word foreknowledge. Another problem with this view is that it really denies the omniscience of God. Um, God really doesn't know everything, uh, you know, apart from having observed. So God actually has to learn something about us in order for Him to know it. Okay, and so God's omniscience is not innate or absolute. It's something that He that He learns over the course of time. God never has learned a thing in His life. And I hope we recognize that. He knows all things uh, because it is innate within him. And so what this Arminian view does is takes the sovereign God who elects according to the counsel of his own will and does all of his pleasure and turns him into a reactionary God who elects people according to the will and pleasure of man. Okay? Now, I know we're going sort of hot and heavy here up front with this idea of election. But it's, I think it's very important that we establish up front uh, that, yes, you are a participant in your own salvation. It's not as though you're entirely passive. You believe. You repent. You submit to God. Uh, you, you work hard on your sanctification and, and all of that. But primacy belongs to God. God acts first. And if God had not acted in this way prior to time, prior to you doing anything, there would have been no possibility that you would have responded in faith to him. Any thoughts on this so far? Isn't, uh, wouldn't you say that some of the resistance to a biblical basis of election is people want to look at probably fairness, like, What's fair about me being elected yes. and someone else not? Uh-huh. But, I mean, we see that, you know, Israelites were chosen as a people and given special blessings and like you said, Jacob and Esau. So, yeah. when I hear that, I think that's not fair, you know? Yes. And and, and you're right. And the, the fact is that God isn't a fair God. if If what we mean by if, if what we mean by justice is that he's equitable and does the same thing for everyone, then we have to conclude that God is not a fair God, but that doesn't mean he's not a just God. See that's that's, that's the standard we're going for. That God is a God of justice. Um, the fact is he, the, the fact that you got chosen and someone else didn't is because God was gracious as a just God. He could quite easily, and and in keeping with his own character, killed everybody, send everybody to hell. Period. Boom. Okay. It's it's so it's not a matter of justice. We don't want a just God when it comes to our salvation. We excuse me. We don't want a we yeah justice. If 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 justice is going to fall on us, we're all going to fall under the justice of God and be destroyed. So what we are looking for is the grace of God. Okay, so that, that, that God is going to be gracious to you. Now you say he's not equitable in his extension of grace, and that's true. Uh, but that's his prerogative. And remember, that's, that's the whole point in, in, uh, Romans 9, right? It, it's this, in fact, it's in this discussion of, uh, of, uh, of election and, uh, Yeah, I don't disagree. It's just it feels bad. Right, it does feel bad, and and so the the question here, you know, that's asked in Romans chapter nine. One of you will say to me, now I'm not saying this is the you're the one, (laughs) Dave here, but but this but you're right. This is this is this is the objection. One of you will say to me, why does God blame us still? And if if he didn't elect me why is he blaming me for not responding who resists his will but god says who are you o man to talk back to god shall what is formed to say to him who formed it why did you make me this way does not the power the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use and then he gives the explanation what if god Choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction. You know, so what if the biggest goal in God's universe is not necessarily to save as many people as possible, but to display the power and glory of God? And what if God chose certain people to be, to be objects lessons, Whereby we can know certainly the power of God. You know, think of Pharaoh, right? Now, here's a guy uh, who who becomes, you know, practically the laughingstock of the world because he because he resisted and resisted God, and God put him in his place, right? And you would say, what if that was Pharaoh's purpose? And, that, and that's what it was, right? That that was Pharaoh's purpose to manifest. The power and wrath of God. So we know what God is like. And so that's the, that's the price he paid. And we benefit from it. And then he goes on, says that's not the only thing God is doing, right? What if he did this to make known the riches of his glory to the objects of mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he called? Okay. So we who are called and then he goes on to explain who's called jews gentiles and back to his original discussion of uh, jew and gentile uh, connections in in the life of the church yeah so yeah right god isn't fair and i think it's really important that we actually see that we're going to see that in in the uh, in the doctrine of atonement as well uh, so election atonement regeneration God accomplishes these things in whomever he wants and and no one else. And we are actually told by Paul here that we really have no basis for complaint uh, because uh, we who complain or those who would complain against God are actually rebelling against God. and So they really have no ground upon which to stand. But very good point. You're right. That doesn't seem fair. Marsha, you're you are muted. Wait, I have a question. I, I okay. Can you hear me now? I can. I can hear you, Sharon. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, how much responsibility do we have in this? Because you said God initiates this. Mm-hmm. Now, do we have any will, any free will, where we can choose? Yes. Yeah, uh, so so here, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about. We, we actually we talked about it last semester, right? With uh, in the doctrine of man, what is the role of man's will? Does man have a free will? And the answer is yes, but we have to define what the will is, what a free will is. Remember last year, and uh, yeah, I should make this a quiz question here, right? Uh, so so what what does it what does it mean to have freedom of the will? And we said freedom of the will is the freedom to do what one wants to do. Okay, so that's, that's, and that's what we all have. We have freedom to do what we want to do. The problem is not that we don't have freedom. The problem is that we don't want God. Okay, so, so it's, it's, we have, we have work, a working will. It is, it is operative. It is able to make choices. The problem is that our nature is corrupted, and so that's that's the tension. So um, it is, and, and I think it's important to suggest to, to to point out that man does have freedom. Men and women both have freedom here, and 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 that is why they have culpability and responsibility. If they didn't have freedom at all, I think we would have some grounds for saying, well, if they if they are, you know they are destined to do these things and they can't do otherwise, then how can that be right? And yet we recognize that every person who has ever done something wrong does so because he wants to, right? And that's, his, that's the tension because he wants to do what he does. He does what he wants to do and what he wants to do is wrong. So yes, we have freedom and that's why we have responsibility because we have freedom. Um, But uh, it is only those to whom God has given then new natures uh, that are, that are capable of responding in faith to God. Okay. Marcia, you had a question. I, I guess I, I'm thinking all along about this and there is scripture that says that he doesn't want anyone to perish. Correct. And I can't put that, I can't make that work with him yeah. being a just god and calling some of us and not others but he doesn't want everyone to par- anyone to perish. Okay. I, it and, doesn't ring with me. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, that would that we go back four semesters now to the doctrine of God, on that, right? So we we talk about what 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 does it mean for God to will something? And uh, w- we suggested there that uh, when we look at the term god's will there are two senses pretty plainly demonstrated in scripture and uh you know god does all of his pleasure no one can stay his hand or say what are you doing so so and we, we could pile up the passages that talk about the fact that god has planned everything god has god has established everything from eternity past that's what we call his sovereign will okay because he is the one who actually causes and and actually sets in motion all of the events of the universe and they always turn out the way that he has intended. Even. There is also a sense in which we talk about the will of God as his will, if I can say it, of his moral expectation. So for instance, in verse, I think it's first uh, Thessalonians 523, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Okay. So when we look at that use of the term will, we're obviously not talking about God's sovereign will. How do we know this? Mm-hmm. Well, because a lot of people have stumbled over the years in fornication, right? So, so it's obviously not his sovereign will that no one engage in fornication because people do. So what, what is the meaning here of his, his will? Well, this is his moral expectation, okay? And so when we see here that God does not will that anyone would perish, it doesn't mean that it's not his sovereign will. We know this because some do, right? And so we have to say that this must be in the second category, that it is something, that it is moral expectation. It is our duty before God to embrace him, okay? And so God does not want anyone. There is no... There, God does not have this sadistic desire uh, for people to reject Him and and laugh when He throws people into hell. I mean that that's that's not the kind of God we serve. Um, so, so so I think we have to see those two senses of the will of God uh, when we when we when we approach that that verse and others like it. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, it yeah it 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 is one of those things that just against us a little bit sometimes but at the same time i i think the opposite the alternative that to to that is is really problematic that god wants to save everybody can it's it's that's a that to me is almost a, a far worse uh situation to begin be in that god really wants he's doing everything he can really trying, trying to get as many people as saved as possible. And he's feeling miserably because you know, only I don't, who knows how many 3% of the people in the world have embraced him. Therefore he's just doing a terrible job at saving people. And I, I that's, I, I don't think we should be thinking of God in those terms, obviously. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. Other thoughts. This is a difficult difficult topic. I, 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 won't, I won't sugarcoat it. Hey, Mark, <coughs> Rich Carrico, I'm in the All car. Right, Hopefully yeah. you can hear me okay. I can hear you. I was just going to say, you know, what Marcia said. Would you agree that we there's no way that we can fully understand that or try to reconcile that, that God's a just God, but he sends people to hell? Um, you know, we we can maybe understand it, try to understand it from a human perspective, but that's – very difficult to reconcile. Yeah, I think we can we can understand perhaps the how of it. Uh the why of it eludes us probably. Uh he he gives us some of the why, uh but some of the some of it we don't we don't understand. Uh, You're you're right. But I do think that there is a that's in fact that's the point of systematic theology, right? To try and Try and piece this together so that the how works. That it is, God is just. And, 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 and God is everything he needs to be. And at the same time, in his wrath, sends people to the lake of fire. And we look at that and say, why would that, it, well, and, and I think, okay, it, and I think it always comes back to the fact that we're just self-centered. Okay. We, we tend to think that the most important, of course the most important thing to God is saving people like me. You know, that's, 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 that's gotta be the centerpiece of what God is doing. And yet, that's probably not it, right? Because if God wanted to save as many people as possible, the thing that would bring him the greatest possible glory is if he'd just go out and save everybody. He could, right? It's, it's not as though he's, his hand is shortened. That he couldn't save everyone, but there are greater and more complex purposes in the plan of God beyond just saving people. Um, and I think it really comes down to being honored for who he is. And, you know, it's one of those things we really wouldn't be able to understand how great and terrible and wonderful God was if we didn't see that side of him and that that seems to be the point in Romans 9 we wouldn't understand really understand the grace and mercy of God if we hadn't seen the wrath of God and so i think he wants us to know him and for his universe to know him for who he is and that's a that's a that's a higher goal even than God saving people you know, it's, that's, that's the important thing for us. Uh, but I, I, I wonder if that's really the thing that governs what God is doing in the world today. Okay, well, let's take a look at some of the terms here. I think we can do this fairly quickly here, but run through some of the terms that are used throughout the, the Scriptures, mostly the New Testament, uh, because this is where the predominance of the discussion is. Uh, the word to choose, eklegomai, is used of election to salvation seven times. Mark 13, 20, for the sake of the elect whom he chose, okay, this is the verb, he shortened the days, and so he's talking about, actually, about the uh, the tribulation period, and for the sake of those elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Uh, John 15, 16, we've referenced this, you have not chosen me, but... Rather, I have chosen you. I chose you out of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Ephesians one four. He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we would hold be holy and blameless before Him. And then James one eighteen. He chose to give us birth. He birthed us according to His will, uh, which sort of brings us. Yeah, that's probably the, that's our second point, right? And our second point is is regeneration here, um, and 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 remember what what John tells us in John chapter one, uh, those who believe uh, believe because they are born. Why is it that they're born? Well, it's not because they chose to be born any more than you or I chose to be born. Okay, it's something that God has accomplished before we even had existence okay and so that that's why this this language of james one eighteen is so valuable for us he chose to birth us uh something that no one can accomplish on his own to give himself birth election this is a noun form here of the same verb here used seven times in scripture and is used only of election to salvation. Romans 9, God's purpose in election stood, not by works, but by him who calls. First Thessalonians 1, 4, We know, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For Second Peter one ten. Therefore, my brothers, be all the e- more eager to make your calling and your election sure. Okay, so this is a, Noun form of that verb. The elect, uh, the eklektos, again same term here, used seventeen times of those who are the objects of God's electing love. So the elect. Uh, Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Once God has elected us, uh, there's there's no possibility uh, that we can we can we can uh, be you know outed. Colossians 3.12, those who have been chosen of God, the elect. Second Timothy 2.10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ with eternal glory. So he's talking about his mission, his ministry as an apostle. I do all of this for the sake of those who have been called by God. Uh, and again, I think this is a very helpful verse for us. It re- it, it identifies for us Paul's realization that we have responsibility. So there's, there's again, so the answer to your question, Sharon, about what our responsibility is. Well, Paul does not imagine that just because God is the one doing the electing that he is, can be passive. Everything he does is to be part of this plan whereby the elect are brought to salvation. There's other verbs here, to choose. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Uh, To ordain to to eternal life, to appoint really, as many as been appointed to eternal life, believed. So God stands in eternity past and appoints specific people to eternal life. And then this word predestined. Is also used occasionally here in, in, a, in a more pointed way. Here, those whom he predestined, he also called those he called. He justified those he justified. He glorified. Sometimes this is called the golden chain. And so once it is, it is the 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 uh, the, the chain is starts. Uh, it's a chain reaction, and it is impossible that one mm. be ju- be elect and then not receive all the rest of benefits okay. of Christ's cross work. Okay. Other terms, those foreknown. Again, this term foreknowledge, those whom he foreknew. We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God because he set his love upon us. We are elect. Uh, Jesus speaks about the fact that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. So there's this, there's this class of individuals given to Christ before the foundation of the world, before he even goes to the cross. There are these individuals that the Father gives to him and they will come to him. The Lord's sheep, you know, he talks about my sheep hear my voice. And the reason that the sheep hear his voice is because they're sheep. That's, that's part of the argument of, of John 10 here is, why is it that some people respond to the shepherd and some people don't? And the answer is, is because they're sheep, okay? And they, they are his sheep. And I, I don't say that in a, in, a, in a derogatory sense. I know we talk about you know this whole COVID thing has uh, revived this this word sheeple, right? You know, people who just believe everything. Um, but the fact is, this is a this is a positive designation here. The reason that there are some of us who follow Christ is because we're his sheep. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Okay. God also talks about the fact that there are many people in Corinth. I have many people in this city. So, Paul, persist in what you're doing, because I have many people here. I've elected several people. And again, again, back to this idea of responsibility. Because of the fact that I have many people in this city, Paul says, then therefore, I'm going to go out and find him. Okay, and so the responsibility is 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 there wrapped together uh, with this electing impulse of God. In order for us to really understand this idea of divine election, we really have to understand how bad we were. Again, so a little review, again from last semester about how bad we were, human depravity, and just uh, just few words of. Of, about depravity and and what that means for election um, those of us who were chosen in him before the foundation of the world were dead in our trespasses and sin same book same context right so why did we have to be chosen well because we were dead that's 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 the that's the significance of this fact of depravity Those who were foreknown and predestined and elect in Romans 8 are the same people that we find earlier in the book are those who turn the truth of God into a lie, assent to sin, commit sin. And we have this long section in Romans 1 through 3 that just beat us us to death with the fact that we're really bad people. We're not good. There's no one righteous. No, not one. And it just goes into tremendous detail about how bad we were. Uh, We were chosen out of the world, and, and this this phrase here is is full of negative connotations, right? We were we were a part of the world system, buying into the world's philosophy. We had we had we had rejected God and had adopted a an alternative religion, an idolatrous alternative God. And God chose us out of that. So that that's the depravity uh which we were in. And it's really bad. It's not just that we were, you know, did some bad things occasionally, but that we were totally depraved. In fact, this 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 term here that we used last semester was uh we, we took sort of ramp it up a little bit. We were we were beset with total inability. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. Okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump all over this, this, this next passage. We'll come back to it. I recognize there's a, there's a tension here. Uh, but I want to, I want to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna address that in a little bit. Uh, but for now, I want to, to see this this primary passage here that says no one can come no one can come unless god makes it happen john 14:17 the world cannot receive cannot receive there again this 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 verb of ability the world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it does not see him or know him so something's got to happen in order for them to receive him romans 3 there is none righteous no not one there is no one understands no one who seeks after god okay so so we can't initiate uh, this salvation process romans 8 the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward god it does not subject itself to the law of god and cannot so again this this, it's it's not just that he doesn't he can't he cannot okay He's not able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And, And we can't sugarcoat these because it really, we really have to accept this. We have to embrace this in order for us to be truly awed by what God does for us in election, right? Natural man does not accept, does not embrace, does not welcome, submit to the things of the Spirit of God. Instead, they're stupid, foolish to him doesn't understand them because they are appraised properly by means of the Holy Spirit. They're spiritually appraised. Okay, so what are the implications? And we've sort of, uh, you know, pushed through here. But election is, of necessity, unconditional. Okay, so uh, we, we, we've actually hit the first two points of Calvinism, right? You know, the T-U-L-I-P. Well, we hit T and U tonight, right? Okay. Total depravity since we are incapable of making any overture towards god then god must actually in an unconditional way makes the first overture to us okay so election is of necessity unconditional by this we mean that human beings cannot meet any of the conditions that would merit election by god we were incapable of this is true from a temporal standpoint and from a volitional standpoint. What do I mean by that? Temporally, since with relation to time, since God made his elective decree, his choice, before the foundation of the world, and according to his own good pleasure, it is impossible that we could have influenced his choice. Right? We haven't done it. We, we didn't exist. We weren't. And so for, so the idea that we might have somehow influenced God and made him say, you know, that's such a good kid. You know, that, that's just a good fella. He's a, he's a nice man. And so therefore I'm going to elect him. Well, no, no, that's impossible. From a temporal standpoint, God chose us before, and, and here's, here's where we find in, in Romans nine, before we had done anything good or bad. So it could not possibly be something that we uh, instigated here. So it's unconditional. We did not meet the conditions necessary for God to elect us. God elected us because he elected us. It's also true from the volitional standpoint. Because we are incapable of responding positively to God for salvation, apart from the receipt of the Holy Spirit and the new nature, it follows that we can't earn, merit, God's elective choice. It's spiritually appraised. That is the Holy Spirit resident within us, that we have to become spirit men, men made new, in order for us to respond favorably to the Christian gospel. So it's not something that we do first. In fact, here's some key texts here, Romans 9, just um, and just reference this. And the illustration here is, is of, it has to do with the national election of the descendants of Jacob, but the implications we find persist for personal salvation. Though the twins, Jacob and Esau, had not yet been born and had not yet done anything good or bad, God's purpose, according to his choice, stood. It was not because of works, but because of him who calls. And for this reason, he said to her, the older will serve the younger. It's a, it's a decision that God made in eternity past, and it's his call he gets to do that. So it's not because of something we have done. Uh, it is because of him who calls, not because of our works in any sense. And so the conclusion in this passage, that election does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs but upon God who has mercy paul goes on in second timothy to say this god saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in christ jesus from all eternity so this it's an eternal work of god in eternity past that is not influenced at all by what we have said or done uh, within time, but it is strictly of the divine purpose. Okay. Questions up till this point. And so here is the, then is perhaps a little bit of a further treatment of that question that uh, Dave asked, right? Uh, why does God seem to be inequitable? Uh, doesn't doesn't that violate his nature as a just God? So why is it that God chooses some people and elects some people and doesn't elect others? Well, why would that be? It seems from what I know about God that he's an equitable God. Uh, but the fact is that God is a just God, not necessarily an equitable God. Okay, So what's the difference? Well, God's condemnation, I say, of humankind is not an act of bare, arbitrary sovereignty. It's not as though he savages some people and is kind to others just because he feels like it. It is an act of divine justice based on his holiness made necessary by his character that cannot look favorably upon sin. God must be just. It is obligatory to his nature and it compels him to treat men equally by condemning them all. And that's what happens. So God has all of us under sin because he is a just God. We are all under the wrath of God equally because of our deliberate and, and willful rejection of who he is. And so God must look upon each of us with disfavor, okay? God's elective choice then is the product of his love, grace, and mercy, qualities which are voluntary in the nature of God, which he can extend selectively without inviting the charge of injustice. God always treats people justly. And by his mercy, loves all people, but he does not love all people in the same way. You know, I, perhaps I could give the illustration here, you know, I, you know, a truck, you know, with, a uh, filled with a hundred puppies, uh, fell, falls into, uh, you know, Detroit River here. You go over there and you see this truck just goes out of control off of Jefferson Avenue and just careens right into Detroit River and there's a hundred puppies in there and they're all going to die. And so, you know, I'm the hero of my own story, so I I come in. I see these, and I I leap into the water, and I go to to save to save to save these dogs. And I and I dive under. This you know, this isn't true because I can't swim at all. (laughs) So so I jump into the water, and I and I reach into the truck, and and with heroic effort, I get I I grab the collars of two dogs and slip them between the 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 the, uh, the bars there, and I. I come to the surface and there I have two, two puppies in my hands. And what happens? You know, the, all, everybody who's on the shore just cheers because why? Because I just killed 98 puppies. No, uh, there were a hundred puppies that were doomed. They were justly doomed. I mean, it, 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 it's not by anything I've done, you know, not my, my choice here, but they were doomed i am a, the, the reason i would be you know viewed as a hero in this in this case is because i saved some in my mercy and an extension and expression of my grace if i can if i can put it that way and so we should not think of god as being responsible for the death of the 98 but we should praise him uh, for the rescue of the two and I think if we if we are looking at it properly, uh, that gives us a much uh, greater appreciation for who God is and what He's done. Okay, so I have a little box here about fairness. Again, answering your question, Dave. Uh, so the modern idea of fairness as equitable treatment should not be imposed on our understanding of God as a just God. The idea of justice in Scripture is interchangeable with the idea of righteousness. In fact, in, in both Greek and Hebrew, they're the same word. To be just is to act in accordance with a standard of righteousness. God is always just, but he's not always equitable. Does this make God partial? No, because partiality is involved only when one party has a claim to something and does not receive it. If God owed everybody a favor, then God would be partial or unjust to withhold grace from one person and, and and give it to another. Partiality is absent, however, when no one has any rights. Remember that parable, the book of Luke, uh, where there was, a, there was a gentleman who was a landowner. Uh, he needs to get his crop in uh, by nightfall and goes out six o'clock in the morning, hires a bunch of people who work and work and work. And then around noontime, he realizes this is not going to get done. We need more people. And so he hires more people and they all come and, you know, they work and work and work and it gets to five o'clock. They've got an hour of sunlight left and he says, it's not going to happen. So he goes out and hires some more and they come and they finish the job. And, and so what does he do? He distributes the same amount of pay to each one of those individuals. And, you know, the people who had worked for 12 hours said, why? Well, that's not equitable. That's not fair. And what, what's the response? You know, I, I, I hired you. I let you know what you were going to get paid. You were willing to do it this morning. But then when you find out that somebody comes in at the last hour and gets this same benefit you did and, and, and didn't have to do as much, you, 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 you. Suddenly, you get all bent out of shape. Of course, it was an illustration here of those people, those Israelites, who had been faithful to God over the course of years and years and decades and centuries and millennia, and then the Gentiles at the eleventh hour—that's where that phrase comes from, right? At the eleventh hour, were were brought into the grace of God, and you would say that's not fair. No, it's not. F- fair if we're talking about equitability but it is just and god does what is right so that's and that's the illustration that we find in the scriptures itself to explain here uh the uh the fact that god not being equitable still can be just does that make sense does that follow it, you know I, I think it it goes to a very good question that uh, dave asked one more point here and then we'll call the night here another implication here of total depravity I think it's an important one is that there is no need for an election to damnation. You know, sometimes it's asked here is, is does God have an equal decree to elect people and to damn people? And I, my answer is no, and here's why. since by the sin of Adam fundamentally, and by our own sin, we stand under the wrath of God, there is no need for a positive decree to reprobate or a decree to damn. And so the idea of God as one who creates some people with the sole intent of damning them is a false one. Uh, And so what I mean here, some of you have heard this term double predestination here. Instead, we affirm here preterition. That is, God does not have to do something active to damn people. They've already done that willingly themselves. Uh, so God is simply passive towards the non-elect. It's not that he has to elect them to damnation. He just has to do nothing. He has to not elect them to salvation. Okay, So, uh, so it contemplates man as already fallen and simply leaves him in that state. So in election, God overrules the fallenness of those objects of his electing love. In preterition, God allows the non-elect to continue willingly on their self-determined path to destruction, and so we don't find anywhere in the Scripture the word election or elect or electing uh, in 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 a in a negative sense. There is no negative election uh, to damnation. Okay, and, and we and it and it makes sense to us because, as John says, those who do not believe. Are condemned already. They don't have to be elected to damnation. They stand. They stand condemned already. Romans eleven: What Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain, but the elect did. The rest were hardened. That is confirmed in the state in which they already were. And in Revelation thirteen, those who were not written in the Lamb's book of life uh were cast into the lake of fire. So it's it's not as though there's two books, the Lamb's Book of Life and the Lamb's Book of Death, uh both of which are uh you know pinned by God in eternity past. There's just the Book of Life, those he whom He has selected out of the mass of humanity uh, for His own positive, gracious purposes in election. Okay? are still not done talking about election. We'll we have a little bit more to to do here. Um, but uh, just wanted to uh, get a good start on that. Any, any, any follow-up questions to the ones that we were already asked or, or additional questions you've uh, come up with over the last few minutes? Dr. Snowberger? Yes. Are there any implications in evangelism? Yes. Um, we'll get to that next week. Yeah. We, 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 we do talk about that next week. <laughs> okay yes there are, there are important implications for that and yeah and and uh, of which one is very important that it is not our purpose in election to persuade dead people to to make the move towards god okay our 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 purpose is simply to inform them now there is a call i mean we we beg them At the same time, it is not, it's not our responsibility to change them and, and make, so it's, it's not as though you should think of yourself as a failure because you gave the gospel and no one responded because your role in the God, in spreading the gospel is simply to share it with them and depend upon an electing and regenerating God to do what is necessary for them to respond in faith. So I, and that's perhaps the first and greatest implication. We'll, we'll talk about more though. Okay. Yeah. So the, the reference to the Lord's sheep, that refers to the call, right? His sheep will hear his voice. That, yeah, the that's sheep the are his that's elect. not the oh, pardon? The sheep are his elect. Right. It's not necessarily that the sheep are already saved. And hear his voice and follow him. It's the call, the unregenerate. No, but there is a sense in which we understand that the reason that they respond is because they were they were his sheep. And if you keep going in that same passage, he said, "There. Why? Why do some people? Why do Why do some sheep not respond to the shepherd? And the answer is, well, because they're not his sheep. They're they're the sheep of some other shepherd. And the sheep respond." to their shepherd because that's what she did. And so the reason they respond in faith is because they are in this pool of God's elect. Okay. Well, we are, our time is exhausted here. We'll come back next week and continue on in our discussion. Uh, Again, if you're doing the reading, uh, keep uh, reading in the doctrine of election here and uh, perhaps that can Uh, spawn further questions and, and discussion next time as well. So we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks for coming by.